0: Romans chapter 5, please. Let's pray. Father, we need you as we consider your word. Your word is truth. Your spirit is alive. Bring these truths to bear in our minds and hearts for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We've all heard the expression no pain, no gain. Now, when it comes to our body composition, that can go in two directions. There can be like the no pain and gain method, which means I'm getting fat because I'm not exercising and eating properly. No pain, no sacrifice, no work, no gaining, uh, equals gaining of weight. And then there's the other one, which is the one that we prefer um, pain in the process of maybe withholding certain foods that I want to eat. Exercising, whether running, jogging, uh, riding a a bike, climbing stairs, doing push-ups, sit-ups, different uh, activities to strengthen our muscles so that we, we make gains, gaining in a good direction. No pain, no gain. If we want our muscles to be strong, we have to put them to use. That's the only way it works. Well, God molds us through the experiences of this life. God molds us through the experiences of this life. I've, I've done a considerable amount of thinking about what makes up suffering. What makes up affliction. There are quite a few factors that are involved in determining whether something is an affliction or suffering. What might be a major problem or challenge for one person maybe not much of anything, not much of a difficulty for another. But as you study the word sufferings as recorded in Romans chapter 5, it's the Greek term thlipsis, great word, try to say that one seven times, thlipsis. There's a wide range of severity when it comes to what this sufferings Refers to. So I want to give you a sampling of that. They'll be on the screens, and if you have the notes, you'll have little fill in the blanks. May I say a word quickly? If you miss one, don't worry about it. The blanks are there to help, not to hinder you. So don't worry if you miss something. You can always get it later. In John chapter 16 and verse 21, the Lord Jesus is speaking, and he refers using this word, thlipsis to the word anguish and it's the anguish of childbirth the anguish of childbirth in other words there's pain in the process of a baby coming forth from a woman but then there's joy right but there's pain involved that's one element of of suffering in matthew chapter 13 and verse 21 we read earlier in our reading about the parable of the sower the word is used tribulation Tribulation arises, persecution arises on account of the word. And so there's some unrest that takes place. That's a form of suffering. In James chapter 1 and verse 27, James uses the word to speak about the suffering that is involved for orphans and widows. Orphans and widows have afflictions. Why? Because there's some provision that's lacking. There's something missing in their lives. And God calls this suffering or affliction. In Acts chapter 7, in verse 10, the word is used to describe the sufferings of Joseph. Now you're familiar with the story of Joseph, the account, the biblical account of Joseph, right? Joseph went to go bring uh, some stuff to his brothers. His brothers were upset. They thought, oh, here's our opportunity. We're going to get rid of our brother. They, they, They beat him up, throw him in a pit. They sell him into slavery, pretend he's dead to his father. He ends up, ends up uh, in Egypt. He comes to a position of authority in Potiphar's house. He's thrown in prison after being falsely accused. Finally, he's remembered. He comes to uh, the, the, the place of authority again in uh, Egypt. All of this God calls Suffering. Various difference. It's, it's a lot different than childbirth, and it's a lot different than the suffering of an orphan or a widow, but it's, it's something. It's something. It's different from one person to another. In Acts chapter 11, in verse 19, the word is used to talk about the persecution of Stephen. Now, if you know anything about the persecution of Stephen, at the end of chapter 7, they stoned him to death. That's a pretty significant suffering. And yet, we're told that nothing, nothing, not even tribulation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. We're told that God is a God of comfort. God is a God of comfort. And the Bible says about this God of comfort that um, He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any, any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God, the God of comfort, comforts us in the midst of any affliction we face and God uses those afflictions to mold us and he tells us that we should be a source of encouragement to those who are going through similar afflictions so that they would experience not our comfort, though we want to try to provide it, but the comfort that comes from the God of all comfort. There is something special that happens in the midst of turmoil, difficulty that we face, for the one who is surrendered to the Lord, when we go through difficulty, there is a special portion of God's presence that he grants to us. Listen to what it says in 1st Peter chapter 4 and verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This is not the same thing as the blessing that we experience at the moment of our salvation where God places his spirit within us. That spirit never leaves us nor forsakes us. There's a special blessing that comes in the midst of our affliction because God in a special way places his spirit upon us, his kindness upon us, his grace upon us. Our job is not to judge whether someone else should feel like their adversities are hard or light. Our job is to be a source of encouragement and a source of Christ-focused guidance in the midst of turmoil. You see, whether uh, the affliction is light or dire, the believer is in desperate need of God's grace. Whether the affliction is light or dire, the believer is in desperate need of God's grace. The grace of God is the great equalizer. The more dire the trial, the more abundant God's grace. In other words, God provides the perfect amount of grace that is needed At all times. Last week, we started studying uh, uh, Romans chapter 5 in the first 11 verses, and this is the outline that we followed. I'll just recap it very briefly. Confidence, God gives us abundant confidence or unshakable confidence in our standing of peace in verse 1. God gives us unshakable confidence in our standing of grace in verse 2. God gives us unshakable confidence in our future experience of glory at the end of verse 2. And then the last one, which covers verses 3 through 11, God gives us unshakable confidence in our present suffering. That's where we want to pick it up. This morning, on this last point, we recognize that God provides us with unshakable confidence in our present suffering. And Paul actually describes our confidence with the term boast. We boast. In our suffering. Let's take a look at the passage beginning in verse 1. Therefore, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice. In hope of the glory of God. Not only that, not only do we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who, he has, who has been given to us. Why should we boast in our sufferings? We boast in our sufferings. Why? Between this morning and Wednesday night, we will consider four reasons that God's people should boast in our sufferings. This morning, we're just going to look at one reason for our boasting. It will encompass a number of ideas, but it's one main reason this morning and three on Wednesday night. We'll probably only get through this first one. Uh, The the first one is this. We boast in our suffering because God is changing us. We boast in our sufferings because God is changing us. We see that in verses 3 and 4. And we see it with the terms, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. God is producing something In the face of our afflictions, our slipsis, whether it be a temporary pain, an enduring pain, a very large trial, a minimal trial, God is producing something. God is changing us. Boasting and suffering seems really against our natural response, it's counterintuitive. But the Bible provides examples of this kind of proper response a rejoicing response in the face of affliction i want us to look there please take a look at acts chapter 5 one example of boasting in the midst of suffering acts chapter 5 peter and his associates were ministering they were involved in healing They were involved in persecution. They were involved in uh, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were thrown in prison, arrested. And now we want to pick it up in verse 25 of Acts 5. Acts chapter 5 and verse 25. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them All right. This is they they, they. they don't like the response of Peter and the apostles. They want to kill them. Gamaliel stands up and says, "Hey, I want to just let you. I want to remind you of some history. Some others have uh, come up in the past, and they, they came to nothing. Uh, uh, maybe this will just peter out. But if it is from God, standing in His way, you'll find yourself fighting against God. How is that going to work out for you?" Uh, they they took Gamaliel's advice, and so we pick it up in verse forty. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. I wonder what that felt like. I wonder if that's an affliction. If that would be considered suffering. I'd say so, don't don't you think? Suffering. They beat them. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then, they left the presence of the council. What does it say? Rejoicing! Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. What name? The name of Jesus Christ their Lord. They, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus or that Jesus is is the Christ. Why boast in suffering? Because it is a privilege to represent the Lord. Now in our study, Paul is describing the benefit of being transformed as a reason for our boasting. Being transformed. God's changing us. Suffering produces endurance. Suffering produces endurance. What a great word this word endurance is. In the Greek, it's hoopamone. It means patient endurance with circumstances. So all these circumstances are rising around us. All this difficulty is coming around us. It's behind us. It's in front of us. It's on our sides. It's surrounding us. And yet endurance, hoopamone, is patient, steadfast, endurance in the midst of all of these circumstances. Now, let's take a look at a few verses because this is a really valuable lesson for us take a look at hebrews chapter 10 to start with the author of hebrews who is being led along by god the spirit tells the reader that's me and that's you tells the reader that we must have endurance this hoopamone, this patient endurance with circumstances he says this in hebrews 10 and verse 36 look there with me please For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. He's calling us to endurance. We have need of endurance. Look at chapter 12 and verse 1. The author of Hebrews continues with this theme again in chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We are to run the race that God has set before us. This is a call. It's a call to have endurance and to run with endurance. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1 that God produces this endurance through struggles, just like Paul says in Romans 5. He says this For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's the same idea, same word. Take a look at Romans chapter 15. Anytime we look at the call, God makes demands upon us. Whenever we look at the demands that God makes, we also want to look alongside of those demands for the kind of God that we have and the kind of response that He brings to us in the midst of that demand. God calls you and He calls me to endure. And He sets the race out before us. And sometimes those very elements of that race that are difficult, God uses to produce that endurance within us. He set the race before us. And listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 15 and verse 5, speaking about the nature of our God. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. God is a God of endurance. So what He is calling for from us this very character, He possesses. He is a God abundant in endurance. Take a look now at Colossians chapter 1. Not only does God call for endurance, and God provides opportunities to produce endurance, and God is Himself endurance, God provides from His own resources, His own power, The very endurance that He calls for in us. Colossians chapter 1, look beginning in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11. This is the key to our passage that we're considering right now. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. For what purpose? At the end of verse 11. For all endurance and patience with joy. God provides the patience with others that we need. And the endurance with our circumstances that we need. And he does this and he provides a joyful satisfaction in the midst of it. Because it is not out of my resources that this endurance and this patience comes. Instead, it comes from the God of all endurance. God provides me with the endurance necessary for the task at hand. God provides what he calls for. Suffering produces endurance i have need of endurance i'm to run the race with endurance god is a god of endurance and he provides that endurance for me and oftentimes through that race that he sets before me i don't know what your level of slipsis sufferings are it's different from one person to the next but i can tell you what is not different god is not different God's plan is not different. And God's power is not different. He gives you and He gives me exactly what we need regardless of what we face. And this can bring us not only endurance and a change in our character, but it it produces joy within us because I know, I know whom I have believed. I know has redeemed me i know what he has for me he's working to change me into the image of jesus christ back in romans chapter 5 you don't need to turn there because we're just looking at the next phrase not only does um, suffering produce endurance that endurance produces character that endurance produces character what what does that mean take a look at philippians you're already in colossians you're going to take a left quickly Philippians chapter 2, endurance produces character. Paul uses Timothy as an illustration of humility, as an illustration of a servant of God, as an illustration of proven character. In Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 19 and following. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will genuinely, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know, Timothy's here's the word that we're looking for: character. You know, Timothy's proven worth. That's the word character back in Romans chapter five. The endurance that produces character. It, Timothy possessed it. God had produced within Timothy a proven character, a proven worth. He says um, how as a son with the father he has served with me in the gospel. Timothy had a proven character. Why? Because God, God was producing it through his own grace. And you and I can see that very character formed in us as God grants us endurance In the midst of difficulty. Now we already uh, spent some time this morning considering the parable of the sower. I want to refresh your minds of that for just a few moments. Jesus told a parable about sowing seed. And you remember those four types of soil. There was hard soil. Hard soil. The word came. It was not understood. Satan comes and snatches the seed. So the Word is preached to deaf ears. A second type of soil was the rocky soil. The Word came and immediately, remember, it was received with joy. It was received with joy. However, while it was received with joy, it only endured for a while. As soon as tribulation and persecution arose as a result of the Word, immediately He falls away. No proven character the suffering revealed a superficial embrace of the gospel. How do you know? Well, because as soon as there was pressure applied to the proving of that gospel rooting, they said, No, I want something else. I don't like this pressure. I need something else. And then he moves on. Remember, the third type of soil was the thorny soil. The word comes, it's heard. However, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. I want you to think about this for a moment. The person that is represented in this third type of soil, the thorny soil, this person is not interested in God. This person is interested just in benefit. What can God do for me? What can God give me? If God doesn't give me what I want, I will find what I want somewhere else. This is using God as a means to something else. Something other than He offers. If you, my friend, are more interested in what God will give you than in God Himself, you will not endure. Heaven is about enjoying God and His glory. And if you don't enjoy God and His glory now, you will not be fit for heaven. Listen to these words of John Piper. Now, I, I, in, in my reading, I have seen numerous statements that are very similar to this. This one is pretty succinct. John Piper once wrote, The critical question of our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? Could you be satisfied with heaven In all of its treats and delights, if Jesus weren't there, if God weren't there, God is all satisfying. This is why Jesus told people to come, come, hunger, thirst, you'll be filled. Come, drink, you'll be satisfied. It's a drink that you'll never need to take again. It is an enduring drink. Are you satisfied with God or just what He gives to you? The third soil, the thorny soil, deeply drives that question home. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches Call. They call our minds. They call our hearts. I want something more than God will provide for me right now. I want something else. And then the fourth soil that Jesus spoke of is the good soil. This one hears, understands, and God through that Word bears fruit and increases. Brings forth a yield. You know, if you think about this, this is the story of Abraham. This is the story of Abraham. God made promises to Abraham, but he needed to wait. God made Abraham wait. It would seem like they would never be realized year by year, nothing. Try to do the work myself. Nope. Hagar is not the one. Ishmael is not the one. Finally, the promise comes into focus. Sarah conceives. Isaac is born. And then God says, you know that sign of my blessing? You know that fulfillment of my promise to you? Give him back to me. Give him back to me. I want my promise back. And you can just imagine the turmoil within the heart of Abraham. What are you talking about? What do you mean? I waited. I tried it my own way. You said no. You finally provided. Here he is. And now you want him back. What is happening? But Abraham had come to believe who God is. And I would say, he remembered the very words of God when God appeared to him in Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. I am your Refuge and your exceedingly great reward. I can only imagine, my friends, that when Abraham heard the words of God about sacrificing Isaac on Mount Moriah, that he was hearkened back in his mind to God speaking to him and saying, I am a refuge for you. I am a place of safety for you. And I, not him. I, not them. I, not anything. I am your exceedingly great reward. Abraham endured. After Abraham obeys the Lord's command to do the unthinkable, God stops him and declares, For now I know That you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then God provides a substitute caught in the thicket. Did God know what was going to happen? Yes. Yes, He did. Abraham was able to see through this horrific situation that his faith in God was genuine. He entrusted to God what defined him. Everything he did in leaving his family, everything he did by leaving his home, everything he did by sojourning was defined in Isaac. And he said, God, you're greater than Isaac. And he knew it himself. He saw it in living color. He had a proven character. It was God's work in Abraham. Therefore, therefore, we boast in our sufferings. For God is changing us. He's molding us. He's transforming us. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces a proven character. And this character produces hope it produces hope hope as we've said is an unshakable confidence in god's plan for our future there are various ways to describe hope but it always is about looking forward looking forward and confidence in what god is going to do a confident assurance of heaven an unshakable confidence in god's plan difficulties Difficulties help us to stop snacking on the junk food treats of this life. And difficulties help us to await the feast of sharing in God's glory. God produces hope within us through difficulties He sends, so we rejoice in difficulty. It is so easy to lose focus Concerning our ultimate end. Our five senses. Smell, sight, taste, hear, and touch. Our five senses are regularly activated, making us aware of the now. What do I want? What do I need? And through difficulty... God reminds us that this world and this life is not the source of our ultimate satisfaction. We long, believers, we long to loosen our grip on the things of this earth. And God uses adversity to help us loosen that grip. As he does, we remember that our real hope our ultimate life is in heaven and we await His return. As Philippians three twenty and 21 says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You see, Jesus Christ is our hope in life, right now, and in death. We have an unshakable confidence about the future because of what Christ has done for us. We have an unshakable confidence in God now in our life because we have already tasted of the kindness of God, and know that He supplies what He calls for. Let's pray together. Father, we need You. We find it difficult at times to endure through things that we don't like, and yet we understand that You prescribe these things as our good Father to enable us to be who You've called us to be we ask, Father, that You'd help us, that we would place ourselves under Your glorious care, that we would truly trust You, that when persecution or trouble arise, we would not flee on account of the Word, that when the anxieties of this life mount and riches are appealing, we wouldn't run to them, but rather we would find our satisfaction in You. Help us, Father, to recognize that your way is best and what you give we need. We pray that we would endure for your glory, that you would be changing us, giving us endurance, proving your character at work within us, and maintaining this unshakable confidence about your purposes and plans in our lives. We commit ourselves to you, And we commit one another to you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.